They simply believed that heaven was an extension of things on earth. That the things that you enjoy now, you're going to enjoy there. That the things that are important to you now are going to be important there. And I'm here to tell you, that is not what our Bible teaches. That in eternity, there's going to be different parameters at play. And because there's going to be different parameters at play, we need to make sure that we don't expect the afterlife to be like the after party of this life. There are differing views on eternity expressed in society today. Some don't believe in the afterlife, and some believe that it'll just be an extension of what we know now. Pastor Daniel will tell us today that both are incorrect. Jesus teaches us that there is an afterlife. For his followers, that brings us to eternity in heaven. We're given little snippets in scripture of what we have to look forward to, but we can be sure it will be nothing like we know now. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 22 with part one of his message, Resurrection Matters. You know, one of the things that often I ask the Lord is that he would help me to live the messages that I have to preach. I do that because I once heard as a young pastor that If you preach a message from your brain, then you're going to reach people's brains. And if you preach from your heart, you're going to reach people's hearts. And, you know, and I think that's a way of life as well, where you say, I don't want to just live from my head outward. I want to live from my heart, that control center of my life. And so my prayer is always, Lord, I don't just want to preach a message. I mean, like I I can digest information and I can give out information and, you know, and information is a good thing, but information won't necessarily change your life. And so my prayer is always, Lord, let me live out the reality of the message that I have to preach. And so Lynn and our kids, we got the pleasure of flying to Nashville, Tennessee to spend time with my family. And so my grandparents, my grandmother just turned 90. My grandfather is about to turn 93 and they're going to celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary. My dad was there, my dad's wife, my sisters, all of my nieces and nephews, as well as my uncle, my mom's brother, and my cousin and their new baby. But when you have grandparents who are getting older, you know, every time you see them, especially because we don't live close, my thought is always, is this the last time I'm going to see my grandparents? You know, and for those of you who've been here, I talk a lot about my grandparents because they were like a second set of parents, You know, they lived right around the corner from me. They had a huge impact and influence on my life. I remember as a teenager, I would get in a fight with my parents. I know you couldn't fathom that at all, you know. um, But I remember I would go to my grandparents' house, you know, because they lived pretty close. I could ride my bicycle there. And and I remember my mom would call my grandma. Now, my mom's all Italian. My grandma's all Italian. Everyone's all Italian, so everyone's loud. You can hear my mom, is daddy there? And she's like, he is not. And what did you do to my grandson? You know what I mean? And so uh, grandma was cool, you know. 
But literally for the last maybe 10 or 15 years, every time I would leave seeing my grandparents, I would always have that thought, is that the, is that the last time I'm going to get to hug them? You know? And for about the last 10 years, every time you leave, they give you something that's theirs. You know what I mean? And so like, we're in that part of life. And I know many of you know what that's like when you have aging parents or relatives you know, as I remember as we were leaving from my uncle's house and we were driving, I just had this thought in my heart that this might be the last time I see my grandparents on this side of eternity, but it's not the last time I'll see my grandparents. And that hit me really hard because what happens is, is that this life is all that we know, but the Bible teaches us that this life is not all that there is. And It is very important for us to learn how to live life on this side of eternity with eternity in mind. Because if we don't, we begin to hold on to a transitory experience that is important, but this transitory experience is temporary. And there is a eternal abode that awaits people that Jesus spoke about so much. And I think what happens, and I mean, I've only been in having this experience as Daniel Fusco for 40 years. For some of you, it's been twice as long. Some of you are like, you know, there's going to be like, man, twice as long. I'm almost three times as long, you know? But when it's all that you know, this life with your social security number and your name and whatever your life has looked like, it begins to take on an all-encompassing reality that it's all that you know. But as followers of Jesus, for those of you who are here who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, there is more to life than this temporary experience. And when you get your eyes and your heart wrapped around that this is a temporary experience, that what we are experiencing, uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way, that our moment, our light affliction is but for a moment. When we wrap our hearts around this, it causes us to live differently this side of eternity. When you realize the big things, the small things get small. You know, it's funny, Thanksgiving, you know, obviously, given the election we just had, you know, it's like we kind of made like a rule, like no one's allowed to talk about politics, you know, and you know how that goes when you make a rule like that. Like the family has to make the rule. They have to think they're going to talk about it anyway. You know what I mean? But I, my grandfather leaned over at me at one point. He said, you know, everyone's freaking out about this election. I've seen so many of these. Life's going to go on. So he said, it's such a great perspective, you know, because after 93 years, he's seen a whole lot of different people be the president. He's like, you know, like, listen, not the first time this has gone on. He's like, but what do I know? I'm just an old dude, you know? But the beauty of the perspective that you bring in, the perspective is the lenses through which you see the world, you know? And when you think about those lenses, for those of you who wear glasses or contacts or you got Lasix because you're too cool for contact lenses or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like that helps you focus things in. And I believe that what we need, and Jesus speaks about this, is we need to get the lenses of eternity and the resurrection on so that we can see this side of life for what it truly is. 
And Jesus gets into this as we continue our Real Talk series. So I want you to open up our text today is Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33. Matthew 22, 23 to 33. Those of you who have trouble reading numbers, there's a lot of twos and threes in that address. Matthew 22, 23 to 33. I want you to open up your Bibles. I really want to encourage you. I know we live in a smart device age, but I'm a big fan of a good old-fashioned Bible. You know, so I want to encourage you, if you don't have like a good old-fashioned Bible that you kind of roll with, I want to encourage you to have one. You know, the Bible, the Word of God is a sword, Now, I don't know anything about doing fencing as an art or anything, but the people who fence, they have a certain sword that they like to use. They like the way it feels. They know how it works. As a musician, I know what it's like to have an instrument. I know where all the notes are. I know how to play certain notes. And in a lot of ways, having a Bible that you like to read, where you know where things are on the page, super important. So even though I'm a big fan of smart devices, a good old-fashioned Bible is kind of a cool thing. And so I I want you to get used to having one sword that you know how to use, because if you're talking to someone, you want to find something, you know right where it is. You get a little extra workout, too. You carry around a little weight. It's good. So (laughs) that was an aside that wasn't in my notes. There you go. Matthew chapter 22, picking up in verse 23. Look at what it says. It says, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother should bury his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the, women, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, this is a, especially in our contemporary ears, this little happening in the life of Jesus reads really strange. And so I want to unpack and help you understand who the players are and what is actually being spoken about here. And I realized that because this was being written in a different time, certain of the customs that were going on in Jesus' day aren't going on today, but it doesn't make them any less valid given the statement that Jesus is making. Now, it begins with, on the same day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him. Now, If you were with us in our last time in the Real Talk series, we saw that the Pharisees and the Herodians came and they were questioning Jesus. And now it's on the same day that the Sadducees came. Now, the Sadducees were another group of people who were very influential at the time of Jesus. In a sense, where the Pharisees were the conservative religious leaders, the Sadducees would have been considered the more liberal religious leaders, where they didn't believe the same way that the Pharisees. There was different religious camps going on, 
right? And so where the Pharisees would say one set of things, the Sadducees would say another set of things. And they come to Jesus and they ask him this big, long question about marriage. Now, I want to give you the principle up top and then unpack it for you. And I think this is really important. And this is this. First, my friends, don't get bogged down. Don't get bogged down because what you have right here is these Sadducees are getting bogged down in what you could call theological minutiae, right? They're so busy trying to get this thing understood that they're completely missing the point. And Jesus' response to them shows them that they're missing the point. And so don't get bogged down. Right Now, with this reality, I'm going to both unpack what's going on here, and I'm also going to explain to you how it's really easy for us to get bogged down with the things of God. Now, it says here first that the Sadducees, they say there is no resurrection. In Acts chapter 23, verse 8, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So, Here in Matthew's gospel, also in the book of Acts, it tells us that the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. Now, do you think it's interesting? What's their question about? The resurrection. So again, Jesus is at that point in his ministry where there is cross currents. Everyone's mad at Jesus because Jesus did not fit into their camp. We always have to remember, do not try and fit Jesus into your camp. Say, God, transform me to fit into your camp. Does that make sense? See, the Pharisees wanted Jesus to align with them, but he wouldn't. The Sadducees, they wanted him to align, and he wouldn't. The Herodians, they wanted him to align, but he wouldn't. Everybody wanted Jesus on their team, and everybody missed the point that Jesus wants us on his team, right? And so now the Sadducees are coming because they're not content with who Jesus is, and they're trying to get him hung up on this idea of the resurrection. So in order to do that, they bring up something called the leverate marriage, which, let me read it to you in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses five and six. I'm gonna read to you the Old Testament premise for this idea. It says this, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother that the name may not be blotted out from Israel. Now, I realize we don't do this in our culture, okay? But we have to remember that in the day and age that this was all going on, first with Moses, which was about 2,000 years before Christ, maybe, you know, 1,500 years before Christ, and then 2,000 years ago, it was not like 21st century America where women worked outside of the home, right? Women were completely dependent upon the skill set of their husbands and then the skill set of their sons because their daughters didn't work either. Now, I'm not saying it's right. The, the Bible just declares what is going on. And so in that culture, if a woman were to, if her husband were to die and she did not have a male child, she was completely vulnerable, she was, she was not in a place because of the way the culture functioned. And it was us also, and you don't, we don't realize this, it was a much more violent culture. 
where people who were vulnerable were systematically oppressed. You can read about this. Just read world history. You see this all over the place. So God's design to protect women in that culture was that if your husband died and you did not have a male heir, then your husband's next oldest brother, the next younger to the oldest, would now receive the wife as his own, and that the first male heir that was born is actually not the new husband, but it's considered the offspring of the original husband. Why? That person's name may not be blotted out in Israel. So this is the lever right there. It was both protection for a woman, and it was also God's way to continue the, the name of a person in the life of Israel. Because don't forget, people were giving allotments of land based on family name. The oldest Son would give the double portion as the incoming heir of the family. And so the idea for the oldest son to not have a male heir, right, that that portion of the inheritance needed to go somewhere. And so by raising up the offspring of your brother's wife, now you keep that all nice and neat. If you want to read, remember Genesis chapter 38, the story of Judah and his sons with Tamar, the foundation is there. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you want some salacious reading, you can read Genesis 38 later. And I did say salacious. And so beware when you read your Bible because it can be a little shady at times. Not that the word is shady, but the topics can be a little strange at times. So the Sadducees, they bring this question to Jesus about something they don't even believe in. That's what's going on here. Where literally, what they're doing here is they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, okay, we don't really believe in the resurrection, but let me give you a hypothetical. Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there are with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and he had no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, you see what's going on here. They don't believe in the resurrection, but really what they're interested in is haggling about absurd examples, right? What they're trying to do is they're trying to make a mockery of the idea of the resurrection based on the Leverite marriage. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you about the resurrection is in a moment, we're going to see that Jesus tells us absolutely that the resurrection is real. But what you need to realize is that your resurrected life in eternity is not going to be a carbon copy of this life. And I think that that is very, very important. See, the Sadducees, even though they didn't believe in the resurrection, they simply believed that heaven was an extension of things on earth. That the things that you enjoy now, you're going to enjoy there. That the things that are important to you now are going to be important there. And I'm here to tell you, that is not what our Bible teaches. That in eternity, there's going to be different parameters at play. And because there's going to be different parameters at play... We need to make sure that we don't expect the afterlife to be like the after party of this life. Does that make sense? And so the Sadducees, they don't even believe in the resurrection, but they're making an absurd example. Now, I think what happens for some of us is that we have the tendency to, in the things of the Bible, that you can get so focused trying to look at these very, very 
interesting things that you think are interesting where you totally miss the most important things. We get bogged down in the minutia. A great example of this, of course, is the people who are so smart about the Bible that they fail to love people who don't agree with them. Right? Where it's like, they know everything. It's like, you meet those people, they have a Bible, they show up, they have that frown on their face because they just came looking for an argument with you. Why? Because they develop their self-understanding by saying, I'm smarter at the Bible than you. And I love when I meet those people because I say things like this. I'm like, it's amazing. You read the Bible, you completely missed the point. I'm like, you know everything about everything except you missed the greatest commandment that you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And guess what I am? Your neighbor. So nothing better than being the smartest dumb person in God's kingdom. Now, I'm from New Jersey, so I talk that way to people. And then I smile at them, and I hope I don't get my teeth knocked out, you know? But I do realize that they might not hit me because they actually do know their Bible. I say might not. I haven't gotten hit yet, but one of these days, someone's going to get mad at me. But I think what happens is, is oftentimes, and here's the thing, I am not advocating not thinking. One commentator said it this way, God wants us to have a childlike faith, but not a childlike intellect. That's a good word, isn't it? God gave us these brains, so we use it. But even in using our brains, we have to make sure that we don't get bogged down in minutia. I find this, this happens a lot of times with men in a unique way when it comes to understanding Bible prophecy. Because in some ways, for a man, maybe it's not all men, but I meet guys like this who they're so focused on Bible prophecy and their wives are like, I just want to be loved. And he's focused on all this stuff and numerology and all this crazy stuff. And I just want him to just hold my hand. And you're just like, what? But in all the minutia, in all the minutia, this stuff goes I'm seeing it with, and I have friends who are part of a, a movement of churches, and they're splitting up right now over what? Nothing. Over nothing. Over different ways to express the same belief. But that's what happens. You know why? Because they're bogged down. They're missing the big things. Things like the father loves it when the brethren dwell together in unity. It's so simple. But yet it isn't. But let me ask you this question. Is your spiritual life getting bogged down by things that aren't important? Are you so busy in the minutia of trying to understand something that you're missing the biggest things? I don't know about you. I find my life gets bogged down all over the place. I feel like I'm like the guy off-roading driving a Hyundai. (laughs) Where it's like I get bogged down Like, I just go off-road, I get stuck. And I don't know why that is, but it's like, but I'm constantly like, Lord, I want my life not to get bogged down. Because the Sadducees, they have this position, they don't even ask Jesus a real question. They're so busy trying to make their point that they're missing the point. And is that you today? I think there's some of you in here right now, you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus because you have decided in your mind in trying to understand the Bible that it doesn't make sense. But what you don't even realize is that the things of the Spirit, which is what the Bible is, are spiritually discerned. So you can't even hope to understand what you're reading because the Spirit of God does not yet dwell in you because you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus. 
There's certain truths that cannot be known except from the inside. Jesus is Once again, the religious leaders of Jesus' day did their best to trip him up, spouting religious theories and quoting scripture. Pastor Daniel shared today, though, that Jesus wasn't fooled by this. He answered their question and went even beyond it, revealing to us as well how different life will be in heaven. What we know now won't be anything like we'll know in eternity. Jesus has promised us one thing, though, himself. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver. Services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will spend some time teaching us about the incredible power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus came to earth and died, we have the chance at new life covered by grace and love. It also opens the door for us to our eternal life with Jesus. Pastor Daniel will tell us what he can about this life and much more about Jesus himself when you join us again. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Real Talk. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.